But we are continuing our study in First uh, Thessalonians. Uh, we'll be in verses, or excuse me, chapter three, verse six, uh, and hopefully we'll get to uh, chapter four, verse eight. Uh, but we're continuing, you know, going through, uh, reading each verse, and trying to comment on each verse, and you know, again, just really get an understanding of this great book that you know Paul again writes very early on in his uh, ministry. Uh, to this church who is such an example for all. Uh, you know, just by way of review, again, you know, this is a very young church. You know, a, a very young church who uh, Paul is astounded by their faith. You know, it tells us in chapter 1, verse 8, that their faith, you know, it, uh, it sounded forth through, you know, not just in Thessalonica, but I, it went through all of Macedonia and Achaia, uh, all of these regions uh, within uh, the ancient world. Uh, their faith was going forth. Uh, people were impressed about you know, how these, uh, these, these who, um, you know, at one time uh, were not Christians, you know, they turned to Christ. They turned away from idols to, to serve God, and they were an example to all the churches around them. Uh, uh, but also, you know, we, we've seen a couple of times so far, and again, I've mentioned this, I th- hopefully every class, is that uh, Paul touches on this theme, this sort of this major theme in the, this book of, of Christ's return, his second coming, he's already touched on it a couple of times at the end of chapter one, at the end of chapter two, and we'll see again at the end of chapter three that he is uh, again informing them that uh, that it's coming. Uh, it's not as soon as they hoped it would be, as soon as they or as you know, as soon as they thought it was going to be. But this day is coming, and they need to stay prepared. They need to stay working. Um, uh, but ne- by next week, we'll be in the meat of chapter 4, and that's really where Paul is going to address this issue. Uh, well, excuse me, not next week, because Brian Hall will be speaking next week, but the week after that, we will jump into that uh, in chapter 4 of, you know, really uh, that, that question that they want to know about. You know, when is Christ going to return? How is he going to return? You know, what about those who have died before uh, Christ returns? What's going to happen to them? You know, Paul's going to, you know, address these things uh, with them or in these letters, uh, but also you know we've seen throughout uh, chapters one and chapters two and, and chapters three sort of this uh, you know this also th- this theme that Paul is also trying to get through to them is that you know persecution is going to happen. Uh, it happened to uh, his Jewish brethren, uh, and it's going to happen to them. You know Paul was you know again he was chased out of Thessalonica by that mob uh, that in Acts chapter seventeen. And then he ran. Down, he went down to Berea and was preaching the word there. Uh, but the, that mob followed him down to Berea, and so then from there he had to, by ship went to Athens, and that's kind of where you know Paul and Timothy and Silas uh, broke up for a little while. While they sent Timothy, and we'll see that here actually in verse six of chapter three, they he sends Timothy back to them to Thessalonica because Paul really. He's probably sort of like a, you know, a wanted man at this time. You, know, you can imagine his face is kind of plastered on wanted posters all over town. You know, he, he's not necessarily welcome in town. Uh, that, that's probably what he was getting at in chapter 2 when he was saying you know, that Satan was hindering him from returning to them. You know, Paul knew, knew that if he were to return to Thessalonica, he probably would have started uh, some bad things for the church there, uh, more persecution. And so it was probably safer for him uh, to stay out of town, at least for the time being. Um, 
until things cool down. Uh, but so they send Timothy, who wasn't as big of a name, wasn't as recognizable uh, to them. Uh, but again, uh, you know, Paul is dealing with uh, trying to comfort them. He's also trying to deal with them, uh, relating that you know he's not. Uh, who the people are saying he is. You know, he, he's not a swindler. He's not somebody coming in trying to sell something. But he deeply cared for this church. You know, I, uh, and also, not only that, but you know, he, he wants to be with them. Uh, he labored among them, remember? He, he, he labored among them day and night, he says. He didn't want to be a burden to them. And Paul said in verse 19 of chapter 2 that you know, he can't wait to show them off to God. You know, again, not in a selfish way, but he just he can't wait for God to uh, see the fruit uh, of his labors. Uh, again, you know, the increase uh, is God's and God's alone. But, you know, Paul did the watering and, 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 you know, Silas did some tilling. And and sure enough, Timothy, you know, he cultivated some of the land. They, they did some of the process, but the, the ultimate increase it was God's alone. But Paul cannot wait to show them off. And. Uh, we saw that Paul is constantly thinking about them. Again, sending Timothy to them. Um, let's look at verse 5 again. Uh, not up on the board, uh, but we kind of ended uh, last, last time with verse 5 of chapter 3. Paul writes, For this reason, when I can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Uh, I, I was thinking about that verse last night and you know it really uh, hit me now of course in the context uh, you know Paul's writing you know he's saying you know he again he's talking about the Thessalonian Christians uh, the, the, uh, those Christians that again were very young in the faith and he wanted to know how they were doing uh, if uh, anyone had come in and kind of you know turned them away from Christ but I, but I was thinking of it more in a way of, you know, how can I relate that verse to me? And I kind of got to thinking about, you know, parenting. As a parent, you know, we, we raise our children. Um, you know, we want them to know God and to love God. And there comes a point in our lives, you know, where we have to, uh, you know, let them go. You know, let them go uh, into the, uh, you know, go do things on their own. Uh, go, you know, the, eventually they may get married. They may, you know, start work. You know, go off to college, those type of things. And I started thinking about that verse uh, specifically, you know, um, when, when that happens, you know, that's going to be my concern as well as a parent. But uh, is, you know, is something going to happen to their faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted them and that my labor uh, as a parent would be in vain? And so that, that verse really stuck with me, really hit me uh, last night. I was reading that. I wanted to relate that to you as we uh, jump into uh, verse 6 and following. Again, Paul, he cared deeply, deeply for the, these Christians. And, you know, Paul was an example to them. You know, he, again, he wasn't someone who just uh, was coming in and telling them what they needed to do, but he was showing them what they needed to do. And he was, um, you know, working with them, laboring with them. You know, there's a saying that we often, uh, I often heard probably by most of my uh, uh, instructors in school, they all said this in some way, sort of, uh, of a fashion. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that, that's Paul. That's the example we want to be uh, to others, is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And again, that was Paul. And that's why he's writing these letters to them. That's why he's constantly praying for them. 
um, he had a concern for these uh, Christians. Uh, it, was, it was natural. It was spontaneous. Uh, I want to read a passage in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, just again to kind of get the mindset that he had for, for the brethren that he's working with. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul writes, For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. For we write nothing else to you than that you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end. You know, again, that, that was Paul's uh, MO. That was Paul's uh, way of thinking is that, you know, he wasn't concerned for, you know, the worldly things. Uh, he wasn't getting to know them for the worldly things, but he was wanting to get to know them and to work with them for you know, spiritual things. Again, the, this godly sincerity uh, that he had. Um, and, you know, what is our goal here as brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, you know, that, that, that's similar. It's very similar. It, uh, you know, we, of course, we want to save souls. We want to go out into, our, into the community and to our families and teach about Jesus and about uh, how his blood saves and how, uh, you know, he wants uh, us to be part of his church. And, of course, uh, you know, that's part of our mission here is to you know, go and, and teach the world. Uh, but also we want to, you know, help each other uh, get to heaven, help each other not get disqualified, as we talked about this morning. But, you know, this, this is, a, is a group effort. It's a team effort. And, you know, again, Paul is not talking in the corporate sense here uh, to build a good public image. But he desperately, you know, felt for these Christians and he wanted to do everything uh, for them to their advantage. So let's, I know, uh, let's uh, jump into uh, verses uh, 6 through 10 and kind of notice this good news uh, again that Paul is uh, relating. So he, he writes in verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live, if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Again, Timothy uh, he, he returns to Paul. Remember, Paul sends Timothy up there. Uh, he comes back to them, and he's got overwhelmingly good news. Right? This is, again, this is a day where you know, we don't have that mass communication. You know, we can't check our emails and Facebook statuses and see you know, how they're doing in Thessalonica. We have to wait uh, until a messenger can come back w- with that message, you know, days, weeks, uh, to get that, but Paul is overjoyed. Right? Satan did not hinder them. Satan did not devour them, deceive them. They were still uh, working in their faith. They were still uh, increasing. Um, they said it says that they remembered him kindly. You know, they they remembered the good things that Paul did when they were with him, and this brought tremendous comfort to Paul. You know. You just think of Paul, step in Paul's shoes, you know, if you will, for a second, as he's, uh, you know, waiting, waiting for word back of how they're doing. And he is super uh, joyed that he gets word back that they are still 
they're still in the Christian race. They're, they're still uh, striving um, to, to live this life. Again, trying to turn away from those idols that are all around them in that society and live a, a godly life. And so he is super excited about that. You can almost, in verse 7, you can almost you know, hear that sigh of relief from Paul. You know, again, there's great distresses and afflictions going on everywhere, but he's comforted. He's comforted knowing where they're at um, and that they're still doing or going strong. And, uh, and then he said, look at verse 9. He, he speaks here trying to, he says, you know, I'm trying to repay God in prayer for what the Lord has done among you. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy Right. How can I thank God enough uh, that, that you ha- continue on? And so, again, another um, you know, great example of why he loved this congregation. He prayed earnestly and day and night to be allowed to go back to Thessalonica, which was just, again, it was expressive of how devoted he was to this congregation. And then uh, in verse 10, uh, we see here that he mentions his desire to supply what was lacking in their faith. You know, we, we talked about this, uh, this is kind of uh, parallel to what we, uh, the sermon that I preached last Sunday evening on Epaphroditus, excuse me, Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2. You remember uh, Epaphroditus, he completed what was lacking in Paul, or for Paul's service, his ministry. He came from uh, Philippi to Paul while he was in prison in Rome, and he completed what was lacking uh, Monetarily or physically or whatever type of service Epaphroditus did for them. But here, um, here in verse 10, he says that he wants to complete what is lacking in your faith, in their faith. And so, um, again, similar to what we talked about uh, last week. But, you know, Paul isn't saying here that the absence of certain qualities, you know, didn't mean that they were, they were poor Christians or they weren't getting it. But, you know, Paul understands that as a Christian, you know, we never arrive to perfection. You know, we are striving uh, to be perfect. Uh, We are striving to be complete or mature. You know, a lot of times when we see that word perfect in Scripture, uh, it doesn't mean perfect like we think of it as, you know, 100 percent to be exactly like Christ. But it means to be mature or to be complete. And so, you know, Paul often says that we need to be perfect um, meaning we need to continually mature, continually uh, be complete. And Paul wants a part, to be a part of that, to complete what is lacking in their faith. Uh, let, let's move on to the, the next few verses, because Paul is going to sp- uh, give this specific prayer to them, to the brethren there in, in Thessalonica. Again, he writes, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So again, there's the, the last verse of chapter 3. Again, Paul mentioning uh, the, the second coming of Jesus. But Paul is giving this prayer to them uh, here um, you know, you might participate in some sort of uh, group outside of uh, the church here. You know, maybe you get together with a bunch of people and go walking or whatever. You know, we can think of different types of groups and activities, you know, sport, sporting teams or something like that that we do. And, 
you know, within those groups, you know, we have a concern for one another. You know, if someone's sick or hurt, we might, you know, ask about them. We might um, try and help them or something. We're, we're concerned about them. Um, but the bonds of a Christian, of course, you know, it should be much, much stronger. It, much, it can be hardly compared to those uh, types of groups. And Paul's expressing his affection for them in Thessalonica in words, you know, that bind them together in this, this common faith. Um, you know, again, the, the love believers share is built more than, than um, you know, than the good times and the laughter we have and the common interests. But, um, but ultimately, it's because we have that common bond. And that, of course, uh, our Father, our Heavenly Father. Uh, and so, you know, I think I've mentioned this um, before, but, you know, have you ever heard of, you know, the, that game that people will sometimes play called Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know, Kevin Bacon is an actor who was in a lot of movies, and um, supposedly you can connect him uh, with, you know, another actor in Hollywood in six, like, movies or less. And so they play this game where they, you know, they pick him out in one movie and they pick some other actor, and through different connections, you can, you know, kind of, you know, you can connect him uh, to uh, Kevin Bacon uh, through, uh, you know, a six... Uh, or fewer actors. Uh, but, you know, the same thing uh, probably and can be said about the church, but even, uh, even uh, less connections. You know, uh, we are so uh, connected uh, because we have this, you know, this common bond. Again, God, our Father, we have this common love for one another. And, you know, we can instantly, you know, uh, I, I remember when I was preaching a sermon uh, back in Michigan about a uh, about about this, and it just so happened that in uh, the crowd that night or was a a family that we had known who uh, similar to us a couple of years ago went away uh, before we did went away to preaching school and uh, instead of getting uh, a position with a local congregation somewhere in Michigan, uh, he ended up becoming a missionary in Hawaii. Isn't that pretty cool? Uh, being a missionary in Hawaii. But uh, we need missionaries in Hawaii. And so he, he, uh, they went to, to go do that work, but they happened to be back in the States at that time. And, and so there, there they were uh, at worship that evening. And it was like, wow, you know, it, Hawaii, you know, so far away, I've never been there. You know, but if, you know, if somebody within the congregation was planning a trip there, you know, I have a connection uh, to someone in Hawaii, you know, I can set them up with with a church to to visit and to you know to be with with on, on the Lord's Day, and we're we can all make these connections, you know, throughout, um, you know, throughout the brotherhood. Uh, we are so interconnected because of that great love uh, that we have for one another, and that Paul here is depicting uh, in this prayer, and so. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time on the prayer because I, I guess that was our five-minute uh, bell. Um, but we want to jump into the last eight verses here uh, where Paul is going to kind of change gears. You know, he's been talking to them about, again, about the persecution that's going to arise. He's been talking about his great love for them. He, he's encouraging them. He knows they're a young church, and he doesn't want to... Uh, again, uh, frighten them. He doesn't want to start out talking about things that they need to uh, change. 
but he knows that, again, they're young. Uh, there's things they need to learn. There's things that are going to affect them going forward. And this is the time where Paul uh, gets into this finally in, in chapter 4, that he's going to talk to them about uh, some certain things uh, in, their, in their culture. Maybe it's within the church that he's hearing about that they need to guard themselves against and that they need to uh, be careful of. So let's read these verses and we'll quickly touch on them. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instructions as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgresses and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification." So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. What was a, a, a kind of a key word that we saw here a couple of times within these verses? I should have highlighted it for it to pop out, but sanctification. He talks about this a couple of times. What is Sanctification. Okay, so, uh, you know, a lot of times within Scripture, um, we'll, see it, uh, we'll see it being described as holy, you know, hallowed, the saints. But really what this, mean, this term means is to be set apart. Uh, when, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, when uh, Paul there is writing about uh, the Corinthian church and, and those individuals before they became Christians, you know, they were murderers, they were adulterers, they were homosexuals, he says. But then he says, but then you were washed. Uh, meaning they were baptized, you were sanctified, you were justified. And at that point of you know, being washed, uh, being immersed in water, they uh, became sanctified. They became set apart. They were set apart from the world now. Uh, they were Christians. They were God's people. And so Paul here uh, in these verses is, um, you know, he is t letting them know the importance of being sanctified. Again, being set apart. And again, they're living in a time where there's idolatrous worship going on all over the place. Uh, these temples, uh, of course, would have been filled with uh, you know, prostitution and sexual immorality as Paul is getting towards them. And he says, you need to be set apart from these things. Uh, as Christians, don't even go around that. Um, uh, you need to know how to possess your own vessel. Now, you know... You know, if you've studied this passage before, there's kind of a couple of interpretations as to what Paul's talking about. Some think that, and some translations even translate, uh, instead of saying his own vessel, his own wife. But um, that's not the consensus of scholars. Uh, it makes more sense that he's talking about the body. Uh, we need, as Christians, we need to be able to possess our own bodies in sanctification. Again, set apart from the world uh, in godliness, not in lustful passions, not like the Gentiles who do not know God. Again, those who would go to the temples uh, all the time and to worship uh, the false idols. But as Christians, we need to set ourselves apart uh, from uh, those individuals 
be sanctified, be pure, um, not for the purpose of impurity. And then let's, let's end on verse 8 because this, uh, this is a, a passage I don't want us to miss. He says, so he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Right? The, these are words that God has given to us through his Holy Spirit. Uh, so when you know I'm up here, you know, preaching uh, this or saying uh, these words, you know, I'm I'm saying, uh, you know, I am reading the words of God, right? I'm reading uh, these words that have been breathed out by God. This is not my opinion. This is not Michael's opinion. This is not Michael's uh, instructions. But these are God's instructions. And so when we reject God's instructions, you know, you're not rejecting me. You're not rejecting, uh, you know, anyone else who's teaching and preaching these things. But we are rejecting God's spirit uh, who has given these uh, to us. And so uh, we just want to, you know, notice this portion here uh, as Paul relates to them about sanctification here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, next time we meet uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, for this class, we will get into the second coming of Christ. Again, that main topic that Paul is writing uh, for them. But at this time, uh, I believe class has ended. I don't know who's leading prayer. but uh, Oh, okay, Lenny's got that for us. Thank you.